On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the Great Reset. What is that? Is it anything? Is it a giant conspiracy or is it a cabal of the elites trying to change the world under our feet? Well, we'll try and sort that out. We are also going to be talking about Diego Maradona, the soccer great who passed away very suddenly, um, talking with a Hamiltonian who played against him years and years ago. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Uh, I don't know if you have heard about something called the Great Reset. It's been discussed lately. If you haven't, let's just say that it is a topic that is creating great consternation on all sides of the political aisle. Here's what it is. There's no disputing the fact that the Great Reset is a thing, or at least is a concept. You just simply have to go to the World Economic Forum's website. And right there in giant letters, it says the Great Reset. And it this forum, this, this World Economic Forum, is describing this as an opportunity, really, to overhaul the world's economic systems and business models and how societies do things. Well, those on the right of the political spectrum are then pointing to this and saying this is a huge movement of globalists to take over, to recreate the world's economy, to do a lot of things that without COVID, they really would have never had an opportunity to do, to to take advantage of a situation and reshape the world the way they want it reshaped. Those on the left dismiss this pretty much and say, no, no, this is a, a chance to fix some things that have gone askew and maybe to make some changes that will better the world. But anyone who would suggest more than that is simply a conspiracy theorist. Well, what is the truth and why are we talking about it now when there seems to be very little agreement? Well, I'll tell you the latter part. The latter part, why we are talking about it is because in a speech to the United Nations not that long ago, Prime Minister Trudeau talked about a reset. That was a word he used. I'm not sure it was a coincidence. It's the same word that was used in the Great Reset. It's a loaded word that is at the center of this, and it's got a lot of people in this country talking. Stephen Ledrew is a political commentator. You read him. He is also host of the three-minute interview on YouTube, which is a fascinating, fast-moving discussion about a bunch of interesting topics. Stephen joins us now. Stephen, thanks for doing this. Scott, my pleasure. There's one thing for certain. Scott Radley is not in need of a reset. Well, I, th- I appreciate that, uh, although there may be others on the, you know, different edges of the political spectrum either way who would disagree. But, um, what, I mean, what do you think, Stephen? Do you believe, we, we, okay, let me back up for one sec. We know, as I say, there are those who say the Great Reset doesn't even exist. And, and as a philosophy, we know that's not true. We know it does exist. It's right there on the World Economic Forum's website. What we don't know is whether this is just one group throwing an idea out or if there really is any traction or oomph behind this thing. Do you believe that there is anything really behind this more than just words? There is something behind it. There's no great world conspiracy because um, most of the world leaders that we're dealing with now don't have the brains to put a big conspiracy together, uh, <laughs> Canada included. So I'm not, I don't think there's this big you know, group of people that are meeting and saying, this is what we're going to do. Um, the fellow who started the World Economic Forum, you look at his website, as you said, Scott, he's just a, an, an old German Marxist. So he is really out there to rehaul the whole system. 
And, uh, and of course, you know, our prime minister has given not just at the U.N., he has given many speeches endorsing the Great, great Reset. And the reset is not, as I've been, I, I had the, um, I had uh, the head of uh, Unifor on my show the other day. I think it's coming up tomorrow, the next day. And we were talking about the great imbalance in salaries and wages in Canada, where there are thousands of billionaires and hundreds of thousands of working poor. That is just a matter of dealing with the tax code, which no one understands anyway. So I think that there's some, there's always some movement to make sure that there is a greater balance in our society and that we don't have robber barons around and, and a lot of poor people. That's one thing. A great reset where you're going to change the system from capitalism to Marxist. I think I read about this guy, I read what he's written. I think he is a Marxist. Well, there's no capacity, there's no appetite for that. Are there leaders who love to glam on to stuff like that? Absolutely. Um, well, but, but that's where this that's where this has become a, a, a point of focus for Canadians because when Trudeau gave this speech to the United Nations, it was done over by video. Here's what he said. Here's one at the beginning of his quote. It was a longer quote. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. And what a lot of people are pointing out is this was not an off-the-cuff comment. This was a speech. This was pre-planned. And knowing that the word reset right now with this is such a loaded word, why? People are asking, would the prime minister use that word? Was it intentional or was it merely careless? Oh, no, 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 no. On this one, it was a written speech. It was uh, you know, rehearsed and, and drafted. Uh, that was certainly intentional. And it is, there's no question that the prime minister's advisors would know that the Great Reset is a key word. I mean, it's now a phrase used at the World Economic Forum to change our, our systems from what they are now to some, I don't know what, I mean, like, as well as I said, I think he's a Marxist. Um, and, and we know, we know that our prime minister, the part-time drama teacher, um, without much of an education, is dazzled by stuff like this. He wants to make his mark on Canada. He has said that. He's trying, <laughs> Scott, ask anybody from Saskatchewan West whether he's making his mark on Canada. He certainly is. He's impoverishing part of it. Um, but, I mean, he wants to, Make a he wants to be a world changer. It's always been that way, and um, I think it's up to Canadians to call him out on that and say, "Look, you have no mandate for this. You were not elected for this. Uh, you can talk all you want, um, but uh, all we want to do is have our jobs back, get healthy, and uh, and have an economy that works." You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I am not prepared to jump onto the all-time conspiracy theory bandwagon that the smoking man and the rest of the three horsemen or four horsemen from the X-Files are all behind this thing. However, what I'm puzzled by is understanding that there are those who believe this. If you're the prime minister, why do you use a word like reset when you have to know it's going to lead to the kind of discussions and concerns that people have? Because that's what our prime minister uh, likes to do. Um, he likes to, you know, fraternize with, as you put it, the world elites. He uh, likes to, I mean, we just learned the other day that John Kerry, who is now a close advisor to um, President-elect Biden, uh, was at the Aga Khan's island with him years ago when he made that illegal trip down there. I mean, he loves to take his government jet and fly around and, you know, you know rub elbows with these people. And um, 
you know, he also likes to think of himself as a nation creator. So, But doesn't this bog it down? When you throw in loaded words that are hot-button words, wouldn't it be more effective to say the same thing without the words that are going to trigger people? You are absolutely right, but not if you're a drama teacher. Not if you want to uh, be viewed as someone who's out there on the world stage creating big changes. This is not, um, in my view, uh, I don't think there's a conspiracy. There's, there's, like I said at the outset of your show, Scott, there's no big conspiracy of this. It's just a bunch of like-minded elites who are out there saying, let's just take advantage of all the tragedy, all the sadness, all the, 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 just the horrible situations that people find themselves in, and we'll hold out something at the end and say, you know, stick with us. We're going to make your life a whole lot better, uh, like as though we live in Venezuela or something like that. And, um... And that's what they like to do. And so, well, it reminds me a little bit, Stephen, it reminds yeah. me a little bit of that uh, line that used to be used by Bill Clinton's war room, which was never let a good tragedy or a good, what was it, never let a good crisis go to waste. Absolutely. And, um, and, and I think that uh, there are certainly, certainly the prime ministers and people around him are, are looking at it that way. We're going to have more green policies. We are going to have more useless energy policies. We are maybe having a whole new proposal to, uh, to change our economic system. Um, I somehow doubt that, though, Scott, because they don't have the brain power in Ottawa to do that. In earlier generations, they did uh, to come up with something like that, but this government doesn't have the, uh, the brain power for that. So, and they're just struggling to keep their heads above water. So, I, I, well, I also think that if you're going to propose something like this, like if the yeah. word was intentionally used and if, if, if Trudeau has looked at the World Economic Forum and, and looked at what this great reset has been defined as by them, not necessarily yeah. by him, but by them. Yeah. And if he really wants this, th- surely this is something you should be fighting an election on, not just sliding through and trying to do this with a minority government. Well, you're absolutely right. But uh, if you look at his minority government, if he's going for a whole new economic order, which I think is verging on Marxism, and his government is propped up by the NDP, he's not going to have many problems in getting support in Parliament for this. Um, Or what's more likely, he is going to have some sort of platform. And uh, if the polls are still showing that he's way ahead of everybody else, we'll have a spring election. Um, And then he will... uh, say he has a mandate if he wins again. The polls say he will, although I don't, I just can't believe that Canadians would re-elect as Prime Minister again. Um, then he would say he has a mandate for it. So it's really, for a number of people listening to your show, they should say, well, if he is going to go for this huge reset, and there's no question in my mind, he knew what he was talking about. He has used those words, Scott, in other speeches, many other speeches, um, in the last few months. Uh, he is just testing the waters for this to see how far he can go with it. Um, I just think that it's absolutely baloney, and we should be vigilant because we have we surely have enough things to fix on our own without trying to reinvent the wheel. Well, and where we are right now is now you have Pierre Poliev who's pointing out, saying, you know, we don't want the Great Reset. Sign on my website to make a, a, a survey to not do this. So you have on the one side, the one group is saying, if you believe Pierre Polyev and his people, they're a bunch of conspiracy kooks. But then on the other side, the liberal, the conservative side, they say, well, look at what Trudeau's saying, and he is dangerous. And and somehow the middle, as with everything else, it seems, Stephen, in our country, the middle gets abandoned, and we have the two extremes. 
Now, I think you're at, that's a very fair assessment of what is going on right now. And uh, as I said, I don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist to think that the prime minister is, uh, is uh, you know, signing on to this uh, program. All you have to do is uh, understand reality, that the prime minister likes stuff like this. And um, it's going to be, it could be fertile ground. If there's more devastation caused by governments as a result of these lockdowns, there is more fertile ground. But as I said the other day, even the World Health Organization now is saying lockdowns are not effective. Stop them. Mm. And all, all our leaders are continuing on. I don't know why. It makes no sense. More people are being killed by it than by uh, COVID. But if we have a devastated country, and you know what, and your listeners know what, Scott, when you have a devastated country, people will grab onto anything that provides some hope. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, just when you think we've we've now scraped all the barnacles off the bottom of 2020, a few more emerge, and today it was the death of Diego Maradona, one of the all-time great soccer players, a troubled man, unquestionably, but one of the all-time legendary soccer players. And if you are anywhere between 30 years old and older and you watch soccer even a little, you will recall watching him in some of his most unbelievable moments, and, uh, and he was something to watch. I know only one person in this city who not only watched Maradona, but played against Maradona on the same field with the man. His name is John McGrain. He is a Hall of Famer in multiple Halls of Fame, including the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame. He joins me now. John, how are you tonight? Uh, Under the circumstances, not too bad. How old were you when you played against Diego Maradona? Hmm. Uh, it was in probably, you know, think, stretching my mind back, it probably was in 1979, 1980. Uh, I would have been 25. Okay, at what level? Play, playing pro? I was playing professional or- in Los Angeles, and we went on a tour of South America because we were owned by a Mexican company called Televisa, and we played a few games in uh Mexico, and then we got a, a chance to fly down to Buenos Aires and play against Boca Juniors. And uh, we were told that it was this little superstar, a uh, little pudgy uh, five-foot-three-four <laughs> guy, uh, who was the next sensation. I think he might have been 16 at the time, I'm not sure. And uh, and we looked at him as if to say, you got to be joking me. And within the first 25 minutes, he scored a goal, hit the crossbar, and hit the goalpost. <laughs> and you were a defender, so you probably saw him uh, up close and personal. Yeah, and it wasn't one of my finest days, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, you, you just mentioned something that I don't know that everybody knows. Some will. The people who are real diehard soccer fans will know this, but uh, most people don't realize what a tiny little guy he was. I mean, he was he was hardly there. You know, he had the ability that uh, some of the great players in the world had because when I was playing, it was just like most sports, football in particular, it was a, <clears throat> a very tough game. Uh, there was no diving and, you know, holding your leg when somebody looks at you differently. Uh, it was a very physical game. And guys like that, that size and that small, and he wasn't the quickest guy in the world. Uh, but he had the ability to roll off tackles and uh, 
Cruyff had that ability, Best had ability, Pelé had that ability. Uh, and that's why he was relatively injury-free through most of his career. But uh, my goodness, he was amazing. You know, it reminds me a lot of Messi. When I see Messi playing today, that was Maradona in his day, but I still think at a different level. Well, and I and I always wondered whether in soccer, I mean, certainly in certain sports, size is a massive advantage in certain sports, obviously basketball, football, hockey to some degree. But I've always wondered in soccer if if in some ways his size was a huge advantage to him just because of how he could skid around and how he could disappear into crowds and all those kind of things, if there was a bonus to him for his size. Yeah, he had, uh, in fairness, when you're talking about the greats in the world and probably any sport, they have what's called Doppler radar in their brains. They can. See, Gretzky had it when he was playing hockey. You could see behind you or feel behind you uh, and was able to get out of the way before it actually happened. And he had the ability to maneuver himself, could play with both feet uh, and maneuver himself in and out of crowds and had a knack for putting the ball in the back of the net. But uh, if you were to say how good was Maradona, uh, even with today's great players of Ronaldo and Messi and, and a few others, he would be one of the top three in the world in the in the last hundred years. Okay, so I'm assuming if we're going to do that, and we, we're going to take a break in just a second, but we, we can do this quickly. If you're going to do that, Pele, I'm guessing, is number one on the list. Would it be? Would that be right? Uh Again, you're talking about you're talking about different eras, but I would say for the amount of goals that he scored and the length of his career, Pele has to definitely be up there. And then you say, he, and then Maradona's in the top three. So who would your third in the top three then be? Oh, I, I, I even thought that Johan Cruyff was was number two in the world. Uh, I would think probably Ronaldo and Messi uh, would be behind Maradona. No doubt about hmm. that. But again, you're talking about, you know, one person's opinion of this. I mean, uh, they're so close that you you would have to bunch them together as being point zero 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 one percent difference between uh, each one of them because they all had their strengths and weaknesses. But as far as having the ability to be a superstar, they were all superstars. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting about Diego Maradona, who passed away today. And, you know, if people are soccer fans, uh, they know all about the man. Uh, If they are not, I was trying to think of a fair comparison to some context. And, and, I mean, it's kind of like Wayne Gretzky only, uh, you know, this may be sacrilegious to say, but I, I think in Argentina, Diego Maradona was way, way, way bigger even than Wayne Gretzky is not necessarily while he was on the ice or on the field, but afterwards, Wayne Gretzky, we kind of, when he retired, we let him go off and live his life and sporadically something will happen and he'll be back in the news. Maradona, it just, it never left. He was, he was always the story in Argentina, always forever up until today. John McGrain, Hamilton soccer legend who played against him once upon a time, joins us and and John I don't know if that's a fair comparison if you think that was a uh, a reasonable comparison but the the thing that differs between in my mind between the two again is Maradona never left the public stage ever well I think a lot has to do with the fact that uh uh without a doubt Wayne Gretzky was uh, a class uh, you know amongst himself I mean he was like so far above everybody else 
But the one thing about hockey and soccer is soccer is a world game. And so they have, uh, when we have a World Cup, uh, usually that's the chance when everybody in the world gets to see the best in the world. And one thing about Maradona, he did perform at the highest level and he played in such in such a way to, to show that he was the best in the world. Uh, so when he retired from the game, uh, people wanted to know and to follow what, uh, what Maradona was doing and, and so forth. And he craved, uh, like most people that are used to being in the public eye, they, they craved attention. And uh, I don't think he was the smartest guy in the world. You know, uh, he did a lot of silly things. And uh, when he was in Italy, you know, he got involved in drugs and gambling and so forth. And then he would go to Cuba to meet his good friend Fidel Castro and and Maduro and uh, and Venezuela. So he was always swimming against the tide. And uh, and I don't think he got the uh, I don't think he got the proper advice that he should have gotten that maybe others did and he didn't. Mm. Well, there was one other thing too, and those things you mentioned, I mean, sure, there was cocaine and there was rumors of being involved in the mafia as well as those questionable world leaders and other stuff. But the irony with this guy, in addition to all those things, so if if you're already going to throw those into the mix and have people now say, oh, I'm not really sure, arguably his most famous goal was a goal that never should have counted. It was a handball. He he named it the hand of God uh, against England in the World Cup. That alone probably in a lot of ways made him a bit of a villain in a lot of corners and hurt his reputation when people rank the greats that probably hurt him more than anything i think it was his celebration after he did it it was almost like uh you know that he tried to sell it as a legitimate goal but one seems to forget that although he did score a goal with his hand he also scored another goal in that game, which was probably yes. the greatest goal that I have ever seen in my yes. life in a World Cup game of significance. But so overshadowed. Guys, sorry, but overshadowed by the hand by goal. The hand of God. Uh, yep. So you, you've got two things happening at the same time. The biggest hulks in the world, and then you have the greatest uh, spectacular goal uh, ever, ever scored, all within 90 minutes. Yeah, and and thrown into the mix, and of course, sports is never without political ramifications. Um, just to add more fuel to the whole fire at that time, though that game between England and Argentina happened almost around the same time as the Falkland Island War, which of course, you know, just, right. just to ratchet everything up and make all the feelings more raw to go with it for anyone in England. Um like I really do believe that that moment, that hand of God moment, and whether, as you say, it's the celebration or just the fact that he scored that goal in that way, that has affected his reputation as a soccer player. I think more people would do what you've done and put him in the top three or four as opposed to maybe just the top 10 if you took that away. Uh, I, I guess there's a lot of people out there who are much more knowledgeable than I who would probably look at Maradona and definitely put him in the top 10. I just think that, uh, you know, there's a different perspective when you play against. I mean, I've been blessed <clears throat> to have played against the likes of George Best and Johan Cruyff and the great Portuguese star Eusebio, Franz Beckenbauer, Pelé. So I've had a chance to play against some of the legends in the game. And when you play against them, you have a different perspective and appreciation for their talents. And uh, although I only 
I actually played against Maradona when he was just before he was great, and uh, and 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 yet I could see the magnificent the magnificence magnificence of what uh, what he was capable of, and mm-hmm. uh, to me, he was a special special talent. It is uh, it is very sad. I mean, he was only sixty years old. Certainly not playing. Certainly not in shape to play anymore. But uh, a guy who's uh, an absolute legend. The BBC today in their obituary called him Argentina's flawed football icon, which uh, seems to be about the best description of him. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.